Welcome to Everyday Pastor. Whether you have been a pastor for 40 years or four days, this space is for you. As a pastor, you spend your days encouraging and problem solving for others, but where can you turn for sound advice on leading your church or keeping your family a priority? On this podcast, Phil Waldrop will connect you with his ministry friends to talk about the things your layman friends don't understand or can't relate to. We want to help ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries. Let's dive in. Hey, this is Phil Waldrop, and thank you for joining me today for the Everyday Pastor Podcast, where we're helping ordinary pastors have extraordinary ministries. And sometimes we address issues that, well, quite frankly, really aren't addressed anywhere else, but yet there are issues that often um, happen in the life of the church, particularly if you're going to have staff or maybe even a volunteer staff member, say, for example, a uh, someone who's going to be the youth minister, children's minister, or some other area in the church. So what happens when those church leaders or staff members are related? What if it happens to be, you know, the pastor and his son is the best qualified person for a position in the church? What are the dynamics that you need to be aware of that may apply that don't apply anywhere else? Well, that's what we're talking about today on the Everyday Podcast, and I could not think of anyone that I would rather have to talk about this subject because he has lived it, he's experienced it, he's experiencing it now, it has worked wonderful. So if anybody can give us the insight to do that, it is my good friend, Josh Revis, who I'm going to say is the associate pastor at North Jacksonville Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. You may have a title more fancy than that, but I, I, I think that's what it is, where his father is the senior pastor. So Josh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Brother Phil, it's a privilege. Uh, you're such a good friend, and I think so highly of you and your ministry, and I'm excited about this resource for pastors, and uh, just excited to be able to tell a little bit about our story and hopefully help some guys that are out there uh, walking through this. Well, let's start with your story, because I think we need a foundation before we get to your role at the church. So tell us just a little bit about your life growing up in a pastor's home and your call to ministry, just to give us a little bit of foundation before you end up being on staff with your dad. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a PK. I'm one of three boys. Uh, my dad's been pastoring Baptist churches for over 40 years. And so uh, that's been my entire life has been, uh, except for the time that I went away to school, my dad is the only pastor I've ever had. And so grew up in church. Um, you know, I, I rolled under church pews, flew paper airplanes out of the balcony, um, you know, grew up. I went to every vacation Bible school, did all those things. And uh, coming up, had an understanding of the Lord, came to faith in Christ as a teenager. Holy Spirit got a hold of me, realized I was lost. So I uh, got saved about a month before I turned 16. And then uh, about a year later, the Lord was working on me that there was... I knew there was something that I was supposed to do, wasn't sure what. And so I was getting opportunities to teach and I really felt the Lord. I, I believe in a supernatural calling to ministry. Mm -hmm. Some guys still don't. Some mm -hmm. guys just take a job, but I feel like God calls you to it. Right. And I, uh, I sensed that call and I was riding home with my dad from church one night. And I said, Dad, I think God's calling me to preach. And he, <laughs> he looked at me and he said, are you sure? And I said, yes, sir, I really think he is. And he said, well, son, you, you need to be sure. He said, because if you're not called to it, he said, this is going to be really hard. And uh, and so as I, I said, no, I, I really do. And he said, well, 
you know, we'll, we'll pray through that. And so I, I started working uh, in the, the student ministry at our church. I was leading a small group. I was getting opportunities to preach. And then uh, I knew that I needed to go away, get training. So I finished up my undergrad, went away to seminary, spent mm-hmm. three years away from the church, uh, getting trained. And then it was while I was there, I, I really didn't have any intentions on coming back. That wasn't part of the plan. Mm-hmm. I thought I might go plant a church or go pastor a church somewhere. And then uh, a little bit before it was time to graduate, uh, North Jacks, the church that, mm-hmm. that my dad has been at for going on 32 years now, uh, dad was praying about having an associate come on. And so they were taking resumes and talking to guys. And it was actually some folks from the church on the, uh, the, the personnel team. And they said, isn't Josh about to graduate? Do you think? And a uh, good part of the story, he said, well, that's something y'all are going to need. I'm not going to be the one to, to bring that forward. And uh, so they reached out and my wife and I, well, she was my fiance at the time, my wife now. And uh, we prayed about it and said, man, what a great opportunity. May never get a chance again to, to work with my dad. Thought it may be for a few years and we'll get our feet wet. We'll learn. We'll be underneath him. And uh, over 17 years later, we're, we're still here. And so, uh, and God's been really faithful. So that's kind of how we got to where we are. And I should add it, correct me if I'm wrong. You're not the only son. Now, you're, the North Jacksonville is a large church. Yes. And there are many staff members, and I should add that. It's yes. not just your family. Right. But if I'm not mistaken, one or two of your brothers has at various times also served on staff there. Yeah. I, as I said, I'm one of three. My middle brother, Jonathan, is a pastor in Jacksonville where we are on the other side of town. Pastor's a great church. He's a fantastic pastor. And then my youngest brother, um, was a layman in our church for years mm-hmm. as an adult. He was a police officer, did that, and then was working for another business after that. And as a layman, was doing a lot of ministry in our church. He uh, he directed as a layman. Um, we have an upward sports ministry. He was working with young adults, and and he did that for several years. And uh, then again, it was the personnel team at the church that um, it got to the point where people were talking about what we need someone. These ministries are big. We need someone to work these ministries full time. And they said, well, we've got we've got the guy. He's already doing it. And so, again, it was the church that determined he was the right guy for that position. And so he's since been ordained. So, yeah, I'm one of three ordained sons of an ordained preacher. And so, uh, yeah. Well, that speaks very highly of your dad and your mom. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't want to imply that if you have kids that aren't in ministry of going astray, no. that you, you're not serving the Lord. That's not what I'm implying at all. But it's just a great reward in your dad. Uh, loves all of you guys very dearly, as you would expect, and has tremendous respect for him. And I should say, for those who are listening to us, I have been to North Jacksonville, and it is the people of North Jacksonville. A lot of the senior adults said to me, we tell our pastor, you know, Brother Herb, we really think you need to go preach a revival so Josh can preach. <laughs> so you are beloved as much or more than your dad. It is true in the life of your church. But now let's talk about the dynamics of that relationship, because you're in a large church. Some churches are not as large. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, somebody, a youth director, and maybe the pastor's, you know, child is the is the fit. And even if the church wants to do that, that is an unusual, unique relationship between in whatever the position is between the pastor and a family member. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that just a little bit. When you actually went on to staff, what were some of the discussions that maybe you and your father had? 
And it doesn't always have to be a father-son relationship. It, I know situations in my home church at one time where our associate pastor was the father of the pastor. So it was a little bit reverse role. And I know situations where it's been two siblings who have been on staff. So talk just a little bit about what discussions maybe you and your dad had personally about what is this going to look like and how are we going to agree and how we're going to disagree? How are we going to relate to other people in other positions? Yeah. Just talk about prior to actually going on staff about those discussions. Yeah. Well, if I can, I'd, I'd like to set up the answer with a, with a, another answer to sure. a question you didn't ask, but um, you know, it's one of those things when we think about families in service together, it's one of those things, and I understand why, but there are lots of people who hear about families working in a church together, and it immediately has a bad connotation. And there's certainly justifiable reasons for that. There, there are people who've done it very poorly. Mm -hmm. But when you look at Scripture, um, children following in their father's footsteps is celebrated. It's mm -hmm. something to be honored, to be, to be prayed for. In every other line of work, it's something you, you drive all around town, almost every work truck that comes by, it's someone and sons this. Mm -hmm. It's a painting company, it's an electrical company, and people don't really bat an eye, you know, when somebody goes into the family business and, and continues that on. But because of, obviously, poor decisions that have been made and because, um, you know, they're, they're bad guys everywhere. If you look hard enough, you'll find them. Um, people are a little nervous about, about nepotism and about some of these things. Right. And again, just because they're your family doesn't mean they're qualified to do it. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to encourage folks out there who they're looking at the, and don't let the fact that their family be the reason you're not going to do it. Um, don't, don't let that be the only reason you do it, but don't let that be the primary disqualifier either. Right. So when we were coming, there were certainly those conversations. One of the best things that I did and not everybody can do it is that I left for a season. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a lot of these people had, you know, I was, I was in fifth grade when we came to that church. Um, so I was 10 years old. And then so that they had not, I'd been in children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry. These people had been my Sunday school teachers, VBS directors. Um, you know, and, and it's tough when somebody's, you know, I, I think it's Dave Ramsey that talks about in finances. When somebody's powdered your bottom, it's hard for them to take advice from you. <laughs> and so, like yeah, That's and so whether, you know, whatever that advice may be, mm -hmm. it, it's tough when they see you because no matter how hard you try, they always see you mm -hmm. the size and age of the first time they met you, you know. Mm -hmm. And so when I left for a season, it gave about three years of time, one, for me to be trained. I needed the training. I needed the theological education. I needed to get reps and, and, and ministry opportunity in a church you know, context outside of North Jacks. And that was really good. So that when I came back, it was clear I'd at least done the preparation work to come in. And so, but when we talked about it, my dad told me right up front, nothing is going to be given to you. Um, he said, I believe that you can serve these people, but you're going to have to earn their trust. You're going to have to earn their respect. You're going to have to earn their ear. And that's on you. That's the work that you're going to have to do. And then I got really two good pieces of advice. And then when I was leaving the church where I was interning in seminary, I had a really godly pastor, a man named Jack May, who pastored all over the Memphis area in Tennessee. And he was the interim at the church where I was working. He told me before I left, he said, Josh, you're going back to your home church. And he said, you know, you really need to make sure that you endear yourself to the people. He said, you need to spend time with them. He said, he said, especially senior adults, he said, uh, they're either going to be your, your greatest ally, your biggest enemy, and that's up to you. And so 
He said, you need to build those relationships, sit down, talk to them, listen to them and work hard. And that, that was really what it amounted to, you know, put in the work, um, never expect anything. And so uh, th- there was an expectation right up front that, you know, I, I had to fall under the same accountability as all the other staff members. I had someone in the early years that I reported to um, just like everybody else did. I had to turn my requisitions in the same way everybody else did. If I didn't turn in a receipt, the administrator was going to come get me just like he would everybody else. And I couldn't go to my daddy and say, you know, the administrator yelled at me because I lost a receipt. He'd say, well, he should. Where's your receipt? You know? Mm -hmm. And so there was this dual purpose thing where he wanted me to have the opportunity, but he was also not going to set me up to fail by not expecting the same things of me that he expected of everybody else. Mm -hmm. So what happens in when you and your dad, you know, I'm going to get real personal here. Yeah. When you have a disagreement, I mean, just put yourself in the role of a staff member for a moment. So your dad has an idea, something he wants to do. And in your heart, you, you know, it's not you're telling him what to do, but all other staff, you know, because I know your dad and he's a leader, but he also wants that input. Mm -hmm. So when you're in staff meeting, it would appear to me there would be a tendency that when Josh speaks, his dad listens more. Or that could be perceived by other staff members. So how do you, when there's a staff meeting or two or three of you are planning something, how do you, how does your dad, maybe that's a better question. How does he make sure that yes, he listens to you, but at the same time, he doesn't make the other staff feel like they're not being heard as well. Yeah, because of the uniqueness of our situation, I get to have these conversations a lot with folks. And one of the things I say often is uh, that my dad and I, we figured out the authority thing a long time ago. We had the authority issue figured out way before I was ever a staff member. Mm -hmm. And so I never lose sight of the fact that he's the pastor Mm -hmm. and the pastor has been called to lead that church. Now he wanted, and and this is an important thing too. um, He sees me, treats me, and my role is as an associate. There are a lot of guys who um, are older in age, who have had a lot of experience, who as they're getting older, they, they think they want an associate. And an associate implies that you want to hear other ideas, have other perspectives. But what happens is really what they want is someone to just do all the stuff they don't want to do anymore. What they want is an assistant. And an assistant and an associate are two very different things. My dad really wanted an associate. Um, but as I came in, I came in as an associate with an understanding that he has the final say. And so there have been plenty of times where I've come in with an idea, something that I wanted to do, especially in the early years when I was younger, because every, you know, young person right out of seminary has got a thousand ideas for their, they have no experience and a thousand ideas. And then what you find out is you get a few years experience, then you have zero ideas. And so I'd bring in all these ideas and and sometimes he'd say yes. And, and he'd throw his, his support behind it, but he also wasn't afraid to tell me no. And I, I tell you, Phil, I can go back over the nose that he gave me and he was right because he had the experience and the Holy spirit was speaking to him just as I I thought, but, but God had given him a vision for what the church needed to do. And so all of this, when it comes to relationships, you're going to hear me say over and over, it's a two way street. It, I tell people our relationship, my dad and I, it works primarily because of him and his leadership. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, you know, he will give me the support that I need, but he'll give me the nose that I need as well. He will listen to an idea and take it all in and he'll say yes. And, but he'll never throw me under the bus. If the idea doesn't work, it was a wee idea. 
And if it's a no, he expects everybody to get behind and say, this no is an us no, you know? And so I've been told no in a staff meeting. I've been, uh, I've had ideas that I've brought that I literally went out, laid all the groundwork for this, you know, activity or event that was going to take place. And the next day him come back and go, you know, I know we said yes, but I, I got a check in my spirit about it. I don't want to do it. And I've had to go to everybody. Go, We're not doing that anymore. And so, but that comes with the submission that I put myself under his, you know, to his leadership. And so if you've got somebody who's entitled, if you've got somebody who's not going to listen, if you've got somebody um, who's going to expect that they're going to get everything rubber stamped because they've got the same last name, it's just eventually going to fall apart. That's not going to work. And so that balance amongst us as staff members works well, because if we didn't have, if no one knew our names, you would not be able to come in our office and be able except for the, I can't hide the way I look. I look just like them. Mm -hmm. But if you were just hearing the interactions and if we were all just sort of names on a screen, you wouldn't see him. You wouldn't be able to tell who he's treating different from the other. And that's the key to that relationship working in office. How does it work with the lay people in your church, lay leadership? I know you talked about relationships and them getting to know you, but what happens when there is a perception, whether it is reality or not, there is a perception, well, Josh, the son is getting to do this because her, the daddy is the pastor, because I just cannot phantom in my mind that that has never happened. Sure. So when you when you hear that or your dad hears that, uh, instead of, you know, blasting the people or whatever, how do you process, for lack of better words, the criticism, whether it is justified or just a perception? How do you, how do you process that? Well, there, there's two things that happen. Um, proactively, we have guardrails in place. Mm -hmm. um, at our church, we, we have a lead pastor model. Um, we have a, a staff of, of pastors who serve as the elders of our church, if you will, and so in, in support of the pastor. And so anything that involves me, say if somebody had an issue with me, they would go to one of our other pastors and we would direct them to that pastor to be able to go and to air that grievance, that problem, to raise that concern. Because what we realize on the proactive side is if they come and they've got an issue with me per se, and they sit down with my dad, even if my dad is right in the answer he gives them, if that answer were in my favor, the perception would be when they walked out of that office, well, he's just covering for his son. He's just doing that. But if they go to another staff member who doesn't have the same last name that has, you know, serves in, in that role um, of accountability at the church, there's clearly a process there where we're saying you have an objective ear where you can bring this concern. And then we have, you know, policies and procedures in place for staff behavior and, and, and the way we interact with our people. So we put guardrails and principles in place to try to be proactive now reactively. We try to be very generous listeners. Um, we don't expect everybody to agree with us all the time. Um, and, and we will have those conversations. I remember when the church voted on me because the church voted to call me to come. Um, it was on uh, a Sunday. And when they did the vote, I, I left the room and, uh, you know, they let me know that three people voted no. <laughs> three people voted no out of the congregation. And so uh, I, I think at first that probably, you know, so you had two brothers and a mom. Yeah, yeah that's no. I know that. Yeah, that was all of them. And I said, I went home and I said, guys, it would have been unanimous. No. And so my, my dad, because he was moderating the meeting, he, he could see who they were. 
And, and I thought it was so wise. He, he went to all three of them later on during that week individually and said, I noticed that you voted no, you know, and, and so obviously I had enough vote. I got the job. There was no, but he said, I, I just want to know what your concerns are. And all three of those people had very valid concerns that had nothing to do with me. One of them, for example, came up in a, uh, in an independent Baptist church that it was a family that ran everything. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the daddy was the pastor and mom kept the books and the kids ran this ministry and it was corrupt and they had had a bad experience. And so, He was just concerned about our church going the way of a church that had hurt him deeply and he had seen bad things happen. And so my dad was able to talk to him about the guardrails we have in place, the processes, the procedures. And and so and and then he went through and and one of those men eventually, I think it was on the 10 year. we, We celebrate big staff anniversaries at our church. So every time you got one with a zero on the end, we celebrate it. So I think it was my 10 year anniversary as a staff. One of those guys came up to my dad at the end. He didn't need to do this and we didn't take anything but but he apologized to him and said, I was wrong. He was the guy for the job. Everybody else in the church saw it. I didn't see it, but I see it now. And, you know, he's, he's proven himself worthy of this opportunity. And I pray by God's grace, I continue to do that. But we listened to him and we didn't mark him and we didn't avoid him and they didn't lose their place of leadership because not everybody's going to agree on everything all the time. And so just like in a marriage or parenting, you've got to have communication with folks um, so that tr- that's where trust is built. And uh, so that, that, that's kind of proactively and reactively how we try to, to, to guard that and protect it. Very wise. Where are the lines for you and your dad? Because you're on staff at the church. Mm-hmm. There is a tendency when you were with your dad that your conversation can easily go to the church, good or bad, problems or victories or whatever. So Thanksgiving dinner... There would be a tendency, I would think, for you, and now that your brother's on staff, that it would be easy for the conversation to go if you said, oh, you know, I saw Miss Johnson today, and, you know, this is a report she got to the doctor. As a family, how do you draw the lines, church talk, family talk? Or are there lines, and should there be? There are lines. Sometimes they can be a little fuzzy and it's just it's it's impossible not to have it because, you know, one of us might be on call. Something might happen. You get a text message. But this goes all the way back to I really honestly believe, Phil, that I'm in ministry today because of the way my dad demonstrated and handled the pastorate in front of me as a child. We would go home on Sundays and I know now my dad tells me stories now about what was happening during those early years of the ministry at the church. And I had no idea Mm -hmm. on the ride home. He and my mom, they weren't talking about it in the front seat. When we got to the table for dinner, we weren't talking about Deacon so-and-so at the church. Whenever we drove off of that parking lot, work stayed at work. And my dad did a really good job of separating out pastor Herb and, and dad Herb. And he was never, you know, (laughs) He never treated us like congregants who needed a pastor. We were boys who needed a dad. So he was father first, pastor second. That's the best way to say it. And so we didn't know there were problems at church. We didn't, I didn't know the kind of stress that he was under. And so at home, we were talking about our basketball games. We were talking about school. We're talking about, you know, the dumb thing that we did and getting corrected for that. Like we were, we were a family and we were experiencing life at home. Now that's not to say there weren't dinners that he had to leave because so-and-so's in the hospital or 
or someone's passed away. Mm-hmm. But, but generally speaking, those were the exceptions and not the rule. And I think that's the key. The moments he had to leave our home to be pastor were rare occasions. And it was not, and I think for a lot of guys, it's the flip. They spend a lot of time being pastor and not a lot of time being dad. Mm-hmm. And so because he did that, I, I had this great view of that. He did that then. And so that's just kind of naturally progressed into our life. Now, one of the things that helps, and you know this, one of the best checks in a pastor or minister or evangelist life is a, is a, is a godly wife. And Absolutely. so my wife often um, intercedes uh, along with the Holy Spirit in my life when I'm looking at my phone or answering text messages or you know, sometimes when we're out for a walk in the evening, the, the conversations can quickly turn into like, you know, some minutia about children's ministry and something. And she's like, we, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> she's right. Because, you know, she's like, I, I don't if you want to talk about what God's calling you to vision. She's like, I, I don't want to talk about job stuff. And she does a really good job helping me when I'm with being present and, and being home. And so in, in all of us, all three boys learned that from my dad. So when we get together for Thanksgiving, there may be a funny story that happened. There may be something that we're filling somebody in on. But he, he drew those lines early on, and we've kept drawing those lines in our own families and then collectively as a family. And so it, it's not always easy, but it's necessary. And uh, it, it's something that it's, it's really a habit you have to develop, just like anything it's else. it's intentional. It's an intentional, healthy discipline that you have to practice. Because you, you mentioned your wife, and I have a sense maybe your mom did this as well. A hundred percent. They have the right to say, okay, guys, let's change the conversation. Yeah. I'm not saying they say those words, but at least they know they can speak up and realize, because it's easy. It's very easy. I know from personal experience, my son-in-law is on my staff. Yeah. It's very easy for us to gravitate toward something going on at work and his conversation. And we're both engaged to the exclusion of the family. Yeah. And, and not a problem. It can be something positive. It can be something good or maybe something we didn't get to complete that there's a deadline coming. And there's a time and a place, but you have to be intentional. Yeah, my, my friend um, Vance Pittman, he's the, the president of the uh, of the SIN Network for the North American Mission Board. I heard him say once, and um, he's a good friend, and, and he talked about the difference between the urgent and the important. Mm-hmm. And what can happen in ministry is the urgent can take the place of the important because there's always some urgent ministry, man. That, mm-hmm. And what can happen, like for you and your son-in-law, you can sit around and there's this thing, and you know how it is. We've all got, if I could just... If we could just handle it real quick, then it's not going to be on my mind. But then what happens is it turns into a conversation. It takes over the appetizers, the entree, and now we're into dessert. And we're still talking about this thing. And what I've had to learn, and my wife helps me remember this, that there are urgent things in the life of the church, but they're not more important than my primary calling, which is husband and then father. And so when I'm at home, the most important thing I can do is be a godly husband to my wife and a godly dad to my kids. And those urgent things, while they're urgent, they're not the most important. So you don't want to let the urgent overtake and eat up the important things mm-hmm. because they can feel important, but they're not the most important. And they can they can wait. I have a dear friend who said something the other day. He told me his son, his teenage son said this. They were trying to have this conversation about, you know, getting the family life in balance. And so he said to his son, he said, son, what do you consider the urgent and the important? And he said, dad, I don't mind you having to leave home and do something, but let's always make sure it involves an ambulance, a police car, or a fire truck. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's <laughs> I really love good. that line. Yeah, it's and really he good. said, I realized, you know what? Anything that's a true emergency is going to involve one of those three 
uh, a policeman, uh, you know, a, an ambulance or a fire truck. I love that line. Yeah. And he said his son said it. So I've, I've been using it ever since. Well, and and it, it that sparked something that, and, and my wife helped me with this. And she said, uh, you know, when those moments come up, th there are some urgent moments that just, they, they overtake, like they, they have to be addressed. But I always, I feel like I owe it to my children to explain to them why in that moment I'm pausing the important to take care of the urgent. So I never just get up from the table and pick up my phone. If something happens, I will look at every one of my kids and go, it seems like an emergency has happened. So-and-so is dealing with such and such. It, what you guys can do while I'm on the phone, if you would pray for them, because we're going to see what's going on. It brings them into that moment of ministry. It's not just something that dad does. Now they're learning their needs, their things to take care of. But they also know, oh, there's a reason. He's not just crushing candies or checking his Instagram. He's he picked up his phone because it's important. If I have to leave the house, this happened two weeks ago. Um, we had something going on. It was 1030 and I was about to take off and I went to all of them and said, I'm not going to be able to tuck you in tonight because so-and-so is headed to the hospital. I need to be there with him. So I'm going to tell you good night now and I love you and I'll be home later. And before you go to bed, you pray for him. But that way my kids know, like, why did dad leave the house? Why is he picking up his phone? Why? They could tell you why in those instances I'm doing it because I'm communicating with them, communicating with my wife. And so you, you let it be the exception, but when it is the exception, they even know why that exception's taking place. Going back to your early days with your dad, it's all about communication, about just explaining, you know, yeah. not, maybe not explaining, informing mm -hmm. is a better word. And again, those emergencies don't happen every day. Yes. There are things that are important. Well, Josh, you've been a great help to us. And I know that there are people who are hearing us, maybe they're considering you know, they're really the best qualified person for this position in our church is my child or my daughter-in-law, son-in-law, whatever it may be. There's a family member and maybe they've been excluding them. Um, I mentioned earlier that our church uh, where Debbie and I were members, our, we had an associate pastor position come open. And I remember the chairman of the committee called me and he said, we're, we're literally at wit's end. We have we, every avenue we've gone down, the door is closed. And he said, I want you, would you consider recommending somebody? And I said, well, I will. Well, what are you looking for? So he gave me this long description of what they're looking for. And at the end of it, I said, well, I know one person who is totally qualified for that position. And he said, great. He said, do you think they'd be interested? I said, I think they might. I haven't discussed it with them, but I think they might. And he said, well, great. I said, but I don't think you'll call them. And he said, why? I said, because his son is the pastor. And my pastor at that time has shared with so many people he didn't orchestrate it. It was something that I knew. I said, what you're looking for is his dad. I know his dad well, and I think he would transition to that. And so when we started that process, there was a lot of questions because it was reverse. His dad was older, you know, retirement age. And so there were people who had concerns who said to, you know, some of the people, well, we're going to put him on staff and then we won't be able to, you know, he'll be 99 years old, still drawing a paycheck. And so in the conversation, he said, no, I want to do this. And he said a number of years, I want to do this for five years. And so of his intention, mm -hmm. when it was presented to call him, they announced his last day. And so <laughs> yeah. it was kind of an unusual, but he said, I'm not going to be here for you. It's, it's going to be part of the motion. I want to serve, I think it was five years here with my son. And at the end of the five years, the people who got upset was because we 
had really encouraged him to set a date because it worked out really, really well. There are situations where it does work well. There mm -hmm. are situations, as you mentioned, the man in your church who had been hurt by a church because it did not work well. Yeah. Don't put someone in a position just because they have your name or a special relationship or you're close to them or they need a job. That happens occasionally. Oh, yeah. No, let your reason be because it is the will of God and you know that God has prepared it. So, Josh, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us today. I think there's been a lot of people who have been helped by what we've shared today. Well, it was a privilege and an honor. Um, and so, man, Phil, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your help to pastors. And uh, thank you for practicing what you preach, friend. You've demonstrated this well, even in what we've talked. I could have easily interviewed you about this. And I know that you'd be happy to help any guy out there that's walking through this as well. Thank you for listening to Everyday Pastor. Our hope is that this conversation will be a resource to you both personally and professionally as you navigate the high calling of leading a church. For more information on today's topic, a list of related resources, or information about today's guest, please visit everydaypastor.info. Don't forget to subscribe to Everyday Pastor so you don't miss an episode, share it with your friends, and follow at Phil Waldrop on Instagram for podcast updates.